All right, again, great to see you guys. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And let's begin by reading the account from Luke's Gospel of the birth of our Lord. And in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And then she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news, uh, good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told of them concerning the child. And those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things that they had heard and seen and was told of them. Well, I've got to ask, being Christmas Eve, is there anyone who hasn't completed their Christmas shopping? Raise your hand and confess. Okay. All right, we're going to pray for those with the problem of procrastination right now, okay? Do you have one of those people on your Christmas list that's hard to buy for? You know, the person that seems to have everything, or they go out and buy it for themselves beforehand, and, or they never seem to really appreciate what you get them. In some ways, my wife thinks I'm that type of person where I usually go out, hey, I'll get this for myself for Christmas, and I'll buy it in July, okay? Or uh, I'm the person that, uh, you know, uh, I, I really think I have everything. And, and when she says, Eric, what do you want for Christmas? I said, well, you know, I've got everything I need. 
And she goes, okay, but what would you like for Christmas? Honey, really, I've got everything I need. I have you, okay? That scores a few brownie points, gets me out of the doghouse if I've already gotten there. I think we all have that one person on our list that find it, we find it very difficult to buy for. What was the worst gift you ever got for Christmas? There was an article recently online that I was reading about the worst gifts ever received. The first one was from a young lady who received a bracelet, and after opening it and looking at it, she realized that she had purchased that bracelet two months earlier. Her sister took it out of her jewelry, <laughs> out of her jewelry box and gave it to her for Christmas. I thought that was pretty good. How about receiving a sweater with a stain on it? Whoops. Oh, that's kind of that's gross, but this next one's really going to get you. Somebody received a toilet seat that they believed was used already. I'm like, and now this isn't a white elephant gift. This was a sincere gift. Many of you know my story, and the most unexpected gift I ever got for Christmas was a mattress. All year I'd been asking for an electric guitar, thinking that myself and my parents were on the same page, telling me along the way that this year, Eric, we're going to get you one large gift. So don't expect a lot of things under the tree this year. And fully thinking that my parents had gotten the idea, they received the memo, that that electric guitar would be waiting for me on Christmas morning. Well, to my surprise, as I ran out to the Christmas tree, pushing my sister over in the hallway to get to my electric guitar, I found there waiting for me, no, not the guitar, but a mattress for my bed. And I'll never forget what my dad said to me. My dad looked at my face and he could tell that initially I didn't appreciate what he had given me. And I'll never forget these words. And at the time, I certainly didn't appreciate these words. And frankly, it just made me more frustrated when my dad said this, it may not be what you want, but it's certainly what you need. Now, over the years, I've come to appreciate those words even more and more. You know, today in the United States of America, we are all seemingly so consumed with our wants that we often miss those things that we need and have already been provided for us. We have a tendency not to appreciate what we have because of the absence of those things that we don't have. Thinking that in some way, the things that we don't have, once we obtain them, they're going to bring us a satisfaction, a, a happiness, a fulfillment that we don't currently have. And of course, many of us have been chasing that dream for such a long time. You know, we truly have first world problems here in the United States, don't we? We see what's happening around the world today. And many today, this is a very difficult time of the year, for there are famines and wars happening around the world, and we're enjoying Christmas in the peace and prosperity that we have in the United States of America. But our wants often drive, uh, they, they lead us to an understanding, or they bring us to a place that we believe that we would even be further satisfied or happier if we just obtained these things. Yeah, sometimes our wants blinds us to the needs that have already been provided for us. Let me ask you a question. What's your favorite Christmas movie? I mean, they start the Christmas movies now before Thanksgiving. 
What's your favorite one? I, I was thinking about that when I was writing this, and I said, well, there's two that are my go-tos. My first one would have to be Christmas Story. You know, kids are going to shoot your eye out, okay? There's just something really funny about that movie. How many like a Christmas story? Raise your hands. Okay, what's wrong with the rest of you? No. <laughs> then there is that second one that I can't help but to watch. And some of these channels play it over and over and over again. And every time I say, okay, I'm, after this next one, I'm just going to turn it off. And then it starts again and I watch it again. It's National Lampoon's Vacation. Okay, I, I got to tell you, you know, the TV version, because the other one's not so clean. The TV version. And one of my favorite parts in National Lampoon's Vacation is at the end, where all, you know, all year, Clark Griswold is waiting for that Christmas bonus to provide a pool for his family. And I love that at the very last moment, things get lost in the mail, and the messenger gets delayed, and he's thinking that he's going to be out and finally, the messenger comes to the house late Christmas Eve, and the <laughs> messenger gives him the envelope, and he's all happy, and the family's rejoicing. He had already spent the money out of the pool from his savings account. You know this movie, right? What am I telling you all this for? I hope it's not a spoiler to anybody, because if, if it is, I don't know where you've been the last 20 years, okay? But what I love about this movie is that when he opens it up, he finds that it's not his Christmas bonus, but a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. And Cousin Eddie, who I'm, I'm writing in for president, Cousin Eddie, Cousin Eddie all of a sudden says, well, Clark, that's just the gift that keeps on giving. You know, so often, because of our wants, and because we don't often appreciate those things that have been provided for us to meet our needs, and because we miss the incredible impact of what this day represents to this world, I want to take us back into the Bible, and I want to remind us that when, this, when Jesus was first announced, notice with me in Luke chapter 2, that he was announced right from the beginning. His birth announcement was this. In Luke chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Stop right there. From the very beginning, we know why Jesus has come into this world. To save us. But to save us from what? I personally believe that when this announcement was first made and as Jesus began to become more popular in the area of Israel and when people started seeing his popularity rise and thinking that he could possibly be the promised Messiah, their initial expectation wasn't that he would save them from their sin, but he would save them from Rome. They were under Roman oppression. Life was hard there in Jerusalem, there in Israel. Rome was a true dictator. The emperor demanded to be worshipped as God. It was a very difficult time. And this was preceded by the, uh, of course, the Maccabean revolt that pushed out the Greeks before the Romans then succeeded them. And I believe that the initial understanding of him being their savior was to deliver them from the Roman oppression. Why do I believe that? Because when it came down to it, when they had their choice between him and Barabbas, 
the, town, the, the city cried out for Barabbas because they believed that he was going to be a quicker means to an end than Jesus. For Jesus didn't appear to be really concerned about delivering them from the oppression of the Romans. He kept talking about his death and resurrection. He kept talking about the liberation that he would bring, but from their sin. And this wasn't jiving with them. They didn't understand it. Their immediate need or their want at the moment, if you will, was to be relieved from the oppression of Rome. And they missed it. Their want blinded them to the reality of what Jesus truly came to provide. And that was liberation from their sin. A freedom, a new life, everlasting life. Have you ever bought someone a gift and you're all excited about it and you can't wait to give it? I am the worst gift giver, okay? I got to just be honest with you. I buy my wife a gift and then I get it home, I hide it. And then as soon as she comes home, it's like, I'm going to wait till Christmas. I'm going to wait till Christmas. I'm going to wait till Christmas. She opens up the door. Hi, honey. Oh, honey, I got a gift for you. Darn it. I didn't make it. I'm the worst gift giver. I just have to give it to her. I want to see the look on her face and the great appreciation that she has for me and the brownie points that sue and, uh, you know, uh, that come next and then getting to choose where we go for dinner that night. All the blessings that come with giving a good gift, Okay. But I'm terrible at it. I just, you know. And she's always greatly appreciated the gifts. But then there are others where you're very excited about giving them the gift. And it has incredibly special meaning to you. And you think that the moment they open it, they're going to look at this gift. And they're going to see the same meaning that you intend to communicate through it. And they open it up. And then they look at it. Huh? what? And they don't get it. And then you have to explain to them, and then there's that awkwardness, you know, it's like, I had to explain the gift to him, and you were all excited, and now you're not so excited anymore. They didn't see Jesus as he meant to be seen. Oh, he never hid it from him. He never promised them something other than what he initially came to save them from, and that was their sin. But their want of the immediate removal of Rome blinded them to that reality. Even though this gift was forged from the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world, and that when God gave this gift to His people and to all of us, He did so because of love. For the Bible tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was true love, a love redefined. You know, today love doesn't have real meaning in our society anymore. We use it very loosely, if I could say that. We assign all kinds of various meanings to it, and therefore we say it very cheaply, I love you, and I love you, and, and, but we really don't mean it. Our actions don't you know, reflect the, the love that we're supposed to have for one another. It isn't unconditional. It's often very conditional. And the love is often predicated on what I may get out of the relationship, etc. How I may benefit from that person's relationship with me. 
But love was redefined in a sacrificial way, demonstrated by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ came to make. And any time someone may doubt that God loves them, may I encourage you to do this. Go back to the understanding of how God demonstrated His love to you. See, we often feel that we need certain things to communicate to us God's love. And when we don't see those things practically occurring in our life, sometimes, or if difficulties come about, sometimes we draw the incorrect conclusion that God no longer loves us. That for some reason we've exhausted His love or He's, he's retreated His love and He's uh, taken it back because we're not experiencing those things that we think we should experience. You know, when we're blessed, it's easy for us to believe that God loves us. But when we're going through difficulties, sometimes that belief is challenged. But God said, don't look at my love towards you in that way. Look at the love that I have for you in the one demonstration that history can never erase. And that is the fact that I gave you my only begotten son. It was a demonstration of an unconditional love that he then continued to show the world. A love that had to be redefined in that culture. Paul went to great lengths in 1 Corinthians 13 to redefine the love that Christ had shown the world because the world wasn't familiar with it. It was an enigma to the world. How could love be that sacrificial? How could that love be so selfless? But that's the love that God has shown us through the giving of the gift of Jesus Christ. Next year, my wife and I will celebrate 30 years of marriage. I can't believe she has put up with me that long. You know, I got to tell you, if there was any, any determining of a saint, she'd, she'd get it. God looks at her and says, have you put up 30 years with that guy? Okay. Saint Dina, walk into heaven. All right, but let, let, me, let me be honest with you. Every time my wife gives me a gift, initially, you know, I didn't always appreciate everything. You know, she selects a certain type of wrapping paper. She draws little notes on it into the card. If you don't open the card first, okay? <laughs> because the card is like the beginning of a Star Wars movie where the, you know, the, the, the text comes down and leads you to understand what's going to follow next. But everything she does is a demonstration of her love for me, and I appreciate that now. But now after 30 years of marriage, she just throws it in a bag, put tissue paper on top of it, and says, here you go. God perfectly demonstrated His love to you and I in the giving of His only begotten Son. James tells us a little bit more about the gift. In James 1.17, he says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What James is saying here is that God gave us exactly what we needed. It was perfect. It satisfied the greatest need in your life. The gift of Jesus Christ that was sent in the love, the unconditional, incredible love of God to the world is the gift that you and I absolutely need. 
And though we may open it and look at it and say, well, I, may, I don't really understand it. Or maybe we open it and say, well, it's not really what I want. Let me tell you, it's the perfect thing that you need. God gave you exactly what you need. And it was perfect. And Jesus is perfect for you. And like Cousin Eddie, the theologian, Cousin Eddie once said, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. Once you realize who he is and put your faith and trust in him for the salvation that he provides for you, it doesn't end there. For in John 4.10, Jesus himself answered and said to her, this is speaking to the woman that was at the well, if you knew of the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. The Bible shows us this woman who comes to this well at a time of the day when the well was empty, that there was no one around it. Many believe that she was shunned by the city in which she lived and that no one wanted to be around her. And most likely it was due to the fact that she had been in many relationships with various men and the man she was currently living with was again not her husband. And she was an outcast in the Sumerian society, going to the well at a time where she didn't have to interact with other people, because undoubtedly they looked down upon her, as scholars believe. But this particular day, waiting for her at the well, was a very unique individual. It was God himself, and began to engage in a conversation with her. So shockingly surprising that the disciples actually comment on it when they return to see him engaged with her. And in it is a conversation revealing that all her life she has been pursuing one relationship after another in hopes of being satisfied by them. And Jesus then tells her that this water that you keep drawing from will never permanently satisfy you. This well, this water, as precious as it is to your society, you can keep drawing from it day after day after day, but you're always going to be thirsting again. But if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would ask me for living water. And what he was saying to her is that if you would ask me, I'll give you life and that more abundantly. I will satisfy that need that you're looking to fulfill through all of these various means by which you now have become an exile to the society in your trying to do so. You know, most people that I meet always have that one thing that they believe that once they obtain it, it'll be satisfied. For years, it was material things. They needed material things. They needed a certain address in a certain town. They needed a certain, you know, uh, emblem on their car. They needed a certain clothes or a certain accessory, whatever, to their ensemble. And once I obtain these things, once I obtain a certain level of financial income, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll have everything that I want. And often in obtaining all of those things, they continuously find that they're still empty inside. It's amazing to me reading the stories of people who have won the lotto. Have you ever read about these people? See, my dad, he, <laughs> my dad, many, many <laughs> oh gosh, I miss him. My dad, 
he would constantly say to us as kids, listen, if I win the lotto, we're going to Disney World and staying down there for a month, you know? If I win the lotto, then you can get that bike you want. If I win the lotto, then you can get the shoes you want. Until then, I'm going to buy you the cheapest things I can find at Kmart, and I don't care if they match your jeans or not, you know. That was just my dad. I love him. But he was always promising things. Even after I got married, oh, once I win the lotto, I'll, I'll buy you and Dina a new home. I was like, Dad, the list is getting long, and I'm starting to think this isn't going to come through. But then I read about people who won the lotto, and now I'm kind of glad that my dad never did. These poor people, after winning this large sum of money, are depressed. They're riddled with fear and anxiety. Some have even taken their own life. Is it because they won all of this money, or is it because they now discovered that winning all of this money didn't satisfy them the way they thought it would? This woman, for the very first time in her life, when she realized who it was that was speaking to her, had an opportunity to access the life that she's always been looking for. You see, that emptiness cannot be fulfilled in us apart from God. That emptiness that we're looking for, at one time it was material things, but today it's relationships. Today many people feel if they just find the right relationship, they will be satisfied. If I have the right husband, if I have the right wife, if I have the right relationship, I will be satisfied. And that's true to an extent, but the relationship that you need is not with all of those other people necessarily, it begins with God. That's the relationship that you need that will satisfy you permanently. You see, the Bible tells us that once we come to Jesus Christ, amazing things begin to happen. First of all, we'll understand love for the very first time. We'll understand an unconditional love, a never-ending love that we've never experienced before. The Bible says that we will find joy in Christ rather than simply trying to chase the concept of happiness. You know, the, forefa- the fathers of our, uh, forefathers of our nation, they knew, or I should say the founding fathers of our nation knew, that they could only put in the Constitution the pursuit of happiness. They never promised that we would obtain it. You see, many people, happiness is always elusive. It's always escaping. They're always looking for it. And it's, the reason why is because they are trying to find happiness externally from all of their circumstances lining up perfectly just as they believe that they need to. But imagine with me one of those jugglers who likes to spin those plates on top of the sticks. Have you ever seen those people? I don't know about you, but who goes and starts, you know, I think I'm going to spin plates for a hobby. Really? There's nothing else you can do? How many times do you have to drop plates before you get it right? Do they start with paper plates? I don't know how this begins. But have you ever seen these people? They can spin all of these plates with all of these different sticks, and they get them all going, and and you're amazed at the balancing act. But it's the same thing when it comes to people pursuing happiness in our world. All the plates have to be spinning together. All of their circumstances have to align perfectly. And then finally, 
the all-elusive happiness is, is obtained. But guess what? Now you have to maintain it. And that's very hard to do. But the joy that God promises us is different. It isn't based upon externals. It's provided through internals. It's a joy in knowing who our God is and the salvation in which He provides and the new life in which He gives. This joy isn't predicated on my circumstances and also cannot be diminished by my circumstances. This allows me to have joy even when I'm going through the most difficult times of my life. One person wrote it this way. They said, in a number of languages, joy is expressed idiomatically, for example, as my heart is dancing or my heart shouts because I am happy. Jesus said this, that in John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is what God provides in the new life in which he provides for us. A life overflowing, an abundant life. As Jesus said here, again, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living waters. But there's also a peace that comes in our new understanding, in our new relationship with God. A peace unlike the peace that the world has, again, predicated on circumstances. It's an inner peace. It allows us to remain calm when everything else around us may be falling apart. The Bible calls this a peace that surpasses all understanding, and Jesus introduced it to us this way in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, and let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's a lot of people today struggling with worry, fear, and anxiety that's leading them to deep, dark pits of depression. They see that things aren't what they are meant to be in this world. And all the things that we had placed our hope and faith and trust in are now showing that they're incapable of providing the life that we are so seeking to find. And it's unsettling. And we feel incredibly insecure in an insecure world. But God says that in Christ, you can find peace. You can find a peace that surpasses all understanding. And you can find a rock to stand on to find security in an insecure world. And that peace leads us to the final aspect, and that is hope. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3, uh, 3 through 5 in the New Living Translation. I like the way they render it. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengths of our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. A hope. There seems to be very little of it in the world today about the future. And next Sunday, we're going to be looking ahead to 2024 
and what the horizon seems to be saying. What can we expect next year? We'll talk about that next week. But here I say to you that the gift of God is Jesus. And that gift in which He provides is eternal life. Notice with me in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gift I offer to you today. And you simply need to receive it. You simply need to receive it. I don't know where you personally stand with Jesus. I don't know if you believe in Him or not. I don't know if things have been, become so convoluted that you don't really understand who Jesus is any longer. But He says this to us in John 10.10. 10. The thief, that is the Satan himself, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God brought you here today. Oh, you may have been invited, but it was God who brought you here today to hear this, to understand why we celebrate Christmas and the gift in which God has given us, a gift that He has given through love, a, a gift that we need to truly understand to appreciate, a gift that keeps on giving, and now we simply need to receive that gift. The greatest need that we have was provided in this gift, and that was an ability to overcome the severed relationship with God that we are currently in if we don't know Jesus. Jesus bridged the gap between a holy God and a fallen person. And it is this gift that we offer to you today. It's the greatest gift that the world has ever been offered, and this is a gift that we offer to you. D.L. Moody, one of my favorites, uh, pastors, he said this, all that you have to do, all you have got to do is to prove that you are a sinner and I will prove that you have a, you've got a savior. And the greater the sinner, the greater need you have of a savior. Now I know people don't like to look at themselves as sinner and most people that you talk to don't consider themselves a sinner. And they often conclude that by looking at themselves compared to other people. Well, I'm not nearly as bad as that person. You ever notice who they choose to? I'm, never bad. I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler. I'm always thankful at that point in the conversation. I'm glad. Or they pick a serial killer of their choice. And now I feel even better. Okay, well, they're not a serial killer, thank God. But for some reason, they want to say that because I'm better than them, God, God must accept me as I am. I, I can't be a sinner. But we are, all of us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need a Savior. It's that sin that separates us from God. It's that sin that keeps us from this new life that God has for us. And it is that sin that Jesus Christ came to deal with on the cross for you and I. And on the third day, He rose again to demonstrate that He has satisfactorily paid the price for you and I. The great C.H. Spurgeon said this, It will not save me to know that Christ is a Savior. That's not enough, he says. 
but it will save me to trust Him and to be my Savior. Yesterday, Dina and I got one of the best Christmas gifts that we could ever receive. As we came home, we were entering in our building. We were bringing in the groceries. Yes, we went shopping the day before Christmas Eve, okay? Dina was thankful that she got out of Jewel, you know, and, and wasn't assaulted, going for the last ham, okay? But when we got home, we went to get our mail. And a woman was coming in who was walking her dog. And in our building, this woman was taking care of her ex-husband who had been um, really injured in a car accident years ago. And he was confined to a wheelchair after this head injury that he received coming home from work. Out of the, he was, you know, T-boned, not expecting it. After that, he became very distraught and he was very depressed and he was very angry with God. He tried to take his life two or three times, I believe, over the course of these several decades, two decades at least, since this occurred. And when, we, when she talked to him about the gospel and when we would talk to him about the gospel, he was so refusant. He wanted nothing to do with God. He wanted absolutely nothing. He was one who believed that because he believed in science, that eliminated the necessity for God. Or that if he believed in science, he couldn't believe in God also. That's an absolute fallacy, by the way. So we've been praying for him and praying for him all of these years. And recently he was diagnosed with cancer. And now he is in hospice. And yesterday we came home and as she walked into the building with her dog, she looked at us, and you could tell she was starting to cry. And she stopped us, and she goes, I cannot believe that I'm seeing you right now at this time. And we're like, what happened? We thought he had, Jim had died. She said, I went to go tend to him earlier in the day. And when I sat down next to his bed, he immediately took off of his mask and said, I believe, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. You know, it's just incredible how hard-hearted he was. And she said, I don't know what I said. And we said, you may have not said anything. God is in the business of saving people because he loves them. And it doesn't matter what hour of their life they are in, God can save them. And we rejoiced together. And Dean and I had concluded that this was the best gift that we could ever receive. And then I was off the hook because I didn't get her a gift yet. No. <laughs> this is what it's all about. This is J Jesus saving people. This is what He does. And once He saves us, He loves us too much to leave us the way He found us. And he changes us from the inside out. I'm going to close with a story, if I may. It's a story about a young man who had graduated college. His parents asked him what he wanted for, for graduation. He said, you know, all I want is a car. Now, his parents began to consider and pray about it, for his parents were Christians, but he was not. And so he began, they began to pray about what 
he really needed and what the best thing that they could offer him as he stepped out of college and went into the real world and began his new adult life. So his graduation came and excited about what he was possibly going to receive he, got, he came home in his graduation party. Finally, his mom and dad put a present in front of him for him to open. And he opened it. And lo and behold, to his amazement, what it was was a Bible. It was a Bible. And he got so angry at his mom and dad. He was one of those that believed that his mom and dad were always trying to push their faith upon him. And he got so angry that he stormed out of the party, left the Bible there, and moved out within a month because he believed that his parents had let him down. Well, as time passed between the graduation in May and Christmas that year, his parents were killed in a car accident. And he then was responsible for emptying their home and selling it. So he went to the attic, and as he was cleaning out the attic, there he saw the half-wrapped present and the Bible that was sitting in there that was, of course, the Bible coming in a nice box itself, hadn't opened it, sat down in the attic, and began, he opened the Bible, he opened the box, opened the Bible, and began flipping through it, and there in a certain page was inserted a letter from his mom and dad. And in that letter, it said this, it said this, we love you so much and we are so proud of you. And we believe the greatest thing that we can give you at your graduation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we not only want to enjoy your company here, but for all eternity. And they left it in John's gospel chapter 3. And then his dad, in his own handwriting, wrote this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Son, please believe that we may spend eternity together. And then as he opened up the letter further, a check fell out for the amount for a new car. He wept, he cried, and received Christ as his Savior right there and then. You see, sometimes we don't see Jesus as he truly is. We don't understand what he is capable of providing for us. But I'll tell you this, he loves you more than you can imagine. He has provided the perfect gift for you. And if you only knew who he was, you would believe and you would receive Him as your Savior and receive the life that only God can provide for you through Him. It's accompanied with a love and a peace and a joy that you won't experience anywhere else in this world, leading to a hope that cannot be dampered by this world around us. But all you need to do is now receive the gift that God has given you. How do you do that? Simply cry out to Him. The Bible says repent. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for what I have done. 
Father, I've been running from you. I want to run towards you. I've been looking for satisfaction everywhere in this world except in you. Save me, Lord. Save me. And believe. The Bible says repent and believe in Jesus. And you will have received the greatest gift that God could ever have provided for you. Amen. Father, we thank you for our time together in your word. And while we're in this moment together, Father, I pray for each person that's here today that they would see how much you love them and that they would understand all that you have done to save them. And I pray, Lord, that we would see it now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we can have eternal life. So if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you and doesn't know for sure that if they were to step out of this world, that they would step into eternity with you, then I pray that they would pray now and say, Lord, forgive me for all that I have done. Father, I hadn't appreciated the gift that you had given me through Jesus. Father, I desire the new life that only you can provide. Father, I believe in him and him alone for my salvation, for my new life. I give you my heart, my life. Father, in exchange for the life that you give me through Jesus. The Bible says that God is never too far away. His ear is never deaf to hear. His hand is never too short to save. Father, I pray that everyone here today leaves with the greatest gift that the world has ever been provided, and that is Jesus. And we ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song.